Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It, is, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked in closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. The other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is the word of God. How many of you would like a little bit more wisdom? If you don't say yes, you're not very wise, so you really need it, right? We need wisdom. In fact, very often when I get prayer requests from you, the question often is something to do with wisdom. It's either about, you know, someone's uh, uh, health issue, but very often about wisdom for a decision that needs to be made. We face the need for wisdom all the time in our lives. Maybe we're in one job and we're wondering whether we should take another job. How do you know the difference between two perfectly good jobs? You need wisdom don't you? Uh, maybe you're, have you ever asked uh, for wisdom when you're making a, a hire for your company? You're hiring someone, you don't know, who do I choose? And the thing is, you always know, you know, six months later, whether you made the right decision, but you'd like to know it before you make the decision, right? You always find out later. Maybe you need wisdom as it relates to your, your mate or your spouse, or we need wisdom all over in our lives. And so this little story about the King Solomon is a story about wisdom. 
and how it is that Solomon was given that gift to, to use it and how we can then maybe learn how we can experience wisdom in our own lives. So I don't know what kinds of circumstances you're facing, but I have a feeling that when I talk about the need for wisdom, you can say, yeah, I'm in that place or I've been in that place or I'm stuck because I didn't exercise wisdom in the past about some. So we're going to look at this little story, and we're going to see in it a, a picture of wisdom and then also something about the practice of wisdom, a simple little story. Now, in this story, Solomon, who is the son of David, he's been chosen to be the next, uh, the next king. That happened in about the first chapter of First Kings. We're only in the third chapter, so it's early on with Solomon. And the Bible tells us that Solomon was only about 20 years old when he became king. And the nation had grown immensely under his, his, his father David's leadership. And it was a, uh, there was a, 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 an established monarchy and it was an, an incredibly important responsibility. And David had just recently died and now Solomon's established as king. And so as Cheryl read for you the story, we have this um, this uh, situation where the Lord appears to Solomon at night in a vision and offers to give him one request or to give him something. And instead of asking for wealth or instead of asking for all the other things that you might have expected, he asked for wisdom. He said, I am a young man. I don't know how to govern these people, and I need wisdom. And so then we have this this statement made that God gave to Solomon wisdom and wealth and all the other things as well. And then ultimately, the basic story of Solomon's life is showing him as a man of wisdom, but also a man who did not ultimately use his wisdom well. So there's a positiveness to this story, but it's also a, 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 a tale to remind us of the danger that just because we have the opportunity to express wisdom doesn't mean that we will always use it well. So let's take a look, first of all, at the picture of wisdom as described for us in this story. Solomon is said to be a man of great wisdom, but we're only given this one strange example of his wisdom. And it's this story. And for some reason, I don't know if you've been in church all your life or not, but I have. And there are certain stories which just sort of, I kind of remember when I first heard it. And I remember hearing this story in Sunday school when I was a kid about the king and the, and the women. They were probably just called two mothers, two women. They, we probably weren't identified as to their occupation, but in any case, who had a, two babies. And I remember that's a crazy story, and it is a crazy story. The story was these two prostitutes who had had children were sleeping with their babies next to them. And during the middle of the night, one of them inadvertently rolled over and suffocated her child. And then having realized that, her infant child, she then transferred the, her own dead child to the prostitute sleeping next to her and took his living child. Apparently, they were born at the same time. And then as that mother woke up, she woke up not only to a dead child, but to a dead child, which was obviously not her own. And this was then brought then before the king, because the king, in addition to uh, having power over the kingdom, was also the seat of justice. There were no separation of powers, as we think of in our constitution today. The man who was the king was also the judge, and so this was appropriate. And so these women were brought before Solomon, and, uh, uh, and, and, and the story was told to them, and then he found this fantastic, strange solution. So, said, well, let's just kill the living baby and split him in two. 
course, he wasn't going to do that. He knew it would happen. He knew that the true mother would be willing to give up her motherhood in order to save her baby. And the nun who was not a true mother wanted to steal the baby in order to have a motherhood that she could claim for herself. All right? So this is that story. And so we see that in this picture, there is a problem, three things. A problem, a principle, and a paradox. Okay, let's take a look at some of these. First of all, the problem, this story illustrates where it is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom because often there is a choice to be made before us, and there are no guidelines to guide us. Let's think about this. Here's Solomon, and he's got these two women, and he's got to choose which is telling the truth, which is telling the lie. He's got to make a choice, and this is what makes life difficult for us because that's when we need wisdom. We've got this job or that job. We've got this uh, person or that person, uh, this hire or that hire, this car or that car this church or that church, right? All these things. There's always a choice. Wisdom comes up to us in the, in, the, in the face of a choice to be made. Now, sometimes there are choices that are clear-cut, but often there are choices that are not. I've experienced this many times in my life, especially as it has related to my career. When I first graduated from college in Southern California, I went to work as a minister of youth and music up in Pismo Beach, California, which is, if you've ever been there, it's like beautiful up there. In fact, if my wife wasn't in love with me, she'd be living in Pismo Beach, I'm sure. But in any case, Pismo Beach is the place uh, we loved to be. And so we were there, and I had made a two-year commitment to be the minister of youth and music. I knew that at some point I wanted to go to seminary, become a preaching pastor. And, uh, um, and so I had made a two-year commitment. But I remember after two years, I had to make the decision. Was I going to stay or was I going to go? And at the end of a long period of reflection and prayer, I determined to stay for a third year. Difficult. The next January came around, and I thought, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay another year? I love living in Pismo Beach, but yet I have this dream of becoming a preaching pastor. I have more education still to be done. Should I stay or should I go? And at the end of the third year, I decided to stay. I think my wife decided that time. I'm not sure. But we decided together to stay. And then we, during that, that, that fourth year, during that whole fourth year, we, uh, uh, we, we began to be expecting, and we were going to be having, oh, no, actually, it was in the third year. Yeah, in the third year where we were expecting going to be having a baby. So if I left at the end of the third year, I'd have left immediately having had a little baby. All right? So we stay there for that last, that fourth year. Now I'm coming to the end of the fourth year, and what do I do? And I remember again, every, at the end of every January, I told the minister that I worked for, I would let him know what I was going to do because my time would end up in June or so. And I remember going, uh, uh, going again for a time of prayer and just having an incredibly difficult time of deciding to leave a job I loved for a dream I didn't know would come true. See, those are difficult. We have a choice to be made. And one of the challenges that you and I have is that we have way, way more choices today than any other culture ever did. You know, back in those days, you didn't choose your job. Your job chose you. You were born into a family. You didn't, you didn't choose a career. You, you were born into a certain You didn't choose where to live. You wouldn't think about moving off to another country to start. That was very rare. That's one reason why the story of Ruth is such a great story, because you just didn't do that. People say, go back to your own home. And yet, in our culture, we have choices everywhere. I mean, 
People who live in other countries and come to visit our supermarkets cannot believe the number of choices that we have just to buy milk or bread, all of those things. And these choices don't always make us free. They sometimes make us nervous, don't they? We have so many choices to make. So we need wisdom whenever we have a choice to be made. But we also, in a and that's part of the problem, there's a choice to be made before us. And then the second part of it is, and there are no guidelines to guide us. Now, sometimes we have rules that we might follow. You know, like if, if Solomon were, were, were uh, uh, having to choose between custody for a man or a woman back in those days, it would have been a natural thing you know, to have said, well, you know, all things are equal, we'll let the baby stay with the woman. But this wasn't a man and a woman. This was two women. And if it was a choice between uh, a woman of standing and a woman of ill repute, well, that would have been an easy choice to make, right? Wouldn't have mattered who was the real mother. He would have said the baby will be better. He would have had some guidelines to guide him. But here he had two women, both in the same station in life, and nothing various between them. And there, there were no guidelines for him to follow. There were no rules, no standard procedures to follow. That's when we need wisdom. Yes. You see, when we, we need wisdom, when we've got a choice to be made, and yet there are no real guidelines to guide us. Yeah. Well, in a, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means then that you want to follow the guidelines of the Scriptures. But a lot of us, though we profess to follow the guidelines of Scriptures, we've never read them. <laughs> we don't know them. And we're much more influenced by whatever the cultural, you know, so we, say, we think the Bible says things like this. Well, I don't think God wants me to be unhappy, as if that's in the Bible. The Bible never says that. I remember a story of when I was, uh, uh, I was at this church in Pismo Beach, and there was, I was a choir director in a, and a youth pastor, and uh, I, there, was a, there was a woman in, who was kind of new to our choir. Um, I was only 20, so everybody was older than me. They were probably 30, I don't know, 35, you know, old women, like 35 years old at that point. Um, and, um, and she wanted to talk to me, to get together with me. And I didn't really know her. She was part of our, our choir. And I began to get to talk to her. And she said, down to her, she says, I've got a problem. I'd like your advice about it. She said to me, you know, I'm married. Um, and my husband's not coming to church with me. And I think, I think I'm going to leave him. And I've talked to a bunch of my friends. And uh, they think maybe I should do that too. Now, keep in mind. We left that church when I was 25, so I'm less than 25 years old. I'm talking to someone who's at least 10 years older than me or so, who's been involved and has gotten lots of advice already from other people, good people, who've told her, this is the right thing, this is fine. I don't think God wants you to be unhappy. And I remember the flutter in my stomach as I looked her in the face and I said, I don't think you should leave your husband. Why did I say that? Because I've committed myself to a standard that tells me what to be done, what should be done, you see. But I have to say, you know, this was in 1985, so, you know, but nowadays, can you imagine? There are so many of us who think that it's just up to us to decide what's right and wrong. Well, if you want to have wisdom, it starts, first of all, with defining what your standard is going to be. But then there are those times when there are choices to be made and no guidelines to guide you. That was the problem for, for Solomon, okay? And there is, I think, then secondly, under this point, a principle that is underneath that. And I'll take a minute for me to help you think through this, okay? Uh, the principle is this. Whatever, and you can jot this down, whatever lies at the center of our, 
whatever lies at the center of our devotion is the ultimate source of our wisdom. Whatever lies at the center of our devotion is the ultimate source of our wisdom. And so there were no guidelines to guide her, but what are the guidelines that we, we have? Well, in this case, this, uh, this, this person, these people had come to the king for the answer to a question, a wisdom question they needed. They knew the king would have the wisdom. They were devoted to the king, and the king would then give them the wisdom that they needed for the thing. What is your devotion? That's the question. To what are you devoted my friend there in that choir situation at that point had a little trouble with her ultimate devotion. You see, this woman, uh, this woman was more devoted in her case to being a mother than she was to the health of a child, right? So she was willing to steal another person's child because that was more important to her than to see that child have his own mother with him. The question is, what is it that's at the source of our devotion? Where do we find wisdom? We find it in the thing that grabs our hearts. And if we have found that something like our career is the center of our devotion, we will let our career call the choices in our lives. Some of you will have to say, looking back on your life, I would say, that there were times in your life that you said many things about why you should take that job. But the real issue was money. You said many things. You uprooted your family. You moved out of a good, stable life because money was the thing. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing, but that can become the true source. So there's a principle we need to look at. What is it that's the center of my devotion? This is why we need to make sure our hearts are true before God when it's the God's opinion that matters the most to me in my life. Those ladies were bound to their commitment to that king. Whatever the king said, they would have to do. You are bound to whatever commitments it is that you want to make. If it is pleasure, if it is possessions, if it is uh, your performance, if it is the prestige that you had before other people, those things will continue to tell you what to do when you've got to make up your mind. You know, you, you, and uh, you'll find the least path of least resistance, perhaps, because these are the things that are important to you. You see, if money is our true devotion, its wisdom will guide our lives. We give many examples of that. If pleasure is our true devotion, its wisdom will guide our lives. You know, if convenience is our true devotion, its wisdom will guide our lives. But if God is your true devotion, God's wisdom will guide your life. Yeah. And so there is a paradox. That's the third thing that I want you to see in this section here. There is a paradox. Now, what, is the, what does Solomon do? <laughs> Solomon says to her, well, well, we'll just kill the baby and cut it in two. Well, he's not going to do that. Certainly, he's not going to do that. But what is it that really happens? What happens in this story is that the woman is willing to give away her child in order to protect her child, right? Her true devotion was to her child. And the woman who was willing to give away her child actually received her child back. See? There's a paradox, and the paradox is this. True wisdom turns this world's values upside down. True wisdom turns this, this world's values upside down. Or we might say it this way, godly wisdom turns worldly wisdom upside down. This is what makes wisdom so difficult in our lives is because it's often backwards to what we think. In this case, the woman who grasped at the child who was not hers ended up losing the child. And the, in the, also the woman who was willing to give up the child for the sake of the child, end up getting the child back into her own bosom. 
And it's a, it's a telling example of the story of Scripture where Jesus says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. You see, the essence of true wisdom is that it's upside down. The wisdom of this world is opposite to the wisdom. The wisdom of this world says if you have power, get more power. The wisdom of God says if you have power, give power to others. The wisdom of the world says if you're great, make people bow down to you. The wisdom of Jesus says if you're great, begin to serve others. It's exactly the opposite. The disciples had such a hard time with that. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45, they were looking for positions of power in God's new kingdom. And Jesus sat them down and he said, it's not the way it's going to be. In the world, that's the way that it is. But in my world, he would be first shall be last. If you want to be the greatest, become the least. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's an upside-down system that's going on. The world is upside-down. Jesus turns The way to get true power is to submit to others. The way to get true freedom is to serve others. The way to gain true riches is to live generously. The woman said, don't ruin my child's life. Ruin my life. But in so doing, she saved both his life and her own. You see the principle there? There's a principle all the way throughout Scripture. Yeah. There's a principle of giving up. And in fact, that is exactly, is it not, what Jesus has done for us. He came and he said to them, don't take their lives, take my life. Don't let their life be torn into. Let my life be torn into. That's what Jesus did for us. Following the wisdom of God turns this world upside down. The self-giving, self-sacrificing love of God is what birthed this world it, was the re- it, it, is, it is what let this world go free as it did. It is what brings this world ultimately underneath the lordship of Christ. And yet it is exactly opposite the way this world works. Genesis chapter 3, perfectly beautiful world. Creation in harmony with God. Creation in harmony with humanity. Creation in harmony within itself. And there walk Adam and Eve in the beauty of the garden when the tempter comes before them with a choice. A choice. But it wasn't a choice between two equally good options. It was basically the choice. Will you trust God and his leadership and his guidelines in your life? Or will you think you can do better? And it says she and her husband, I would say, saw that it was good for food and desire for the eyes to make one wise. And she took. And so she began the life of taking that has characterized our lives from every day since. Taking and hiding and blaming. She took the fruit. They hid from God. They hid from their own nakedness. They blamed one another. They blamed the serpent. And so we have this grasping world that we live in, and it's all around us, and it leads this world down a path of destruction. But when Jesus showed up on this earth... He came and he gave, he gave, he gave. He gave lavish grace to the most unlovely persons around them. He gave uh, forgiveness to those who did not deserve it. The only people that had trouble with Jesus were people who were looking to grasp for power for themselves. It's upside down. It's upside down. The wisdom of this world is foolishness, 1 Corinthians says, 
before God. But God's foolishness is the ultimate wisdom. We um, moved away about a year after I had that conversation with that woman, or maybe within a few months. And then we went back about three or four years later to visit. We had gone to Indiana, we went to graduate school, and back to visit. And, uh, um, and I show up at the church, and I'm going to be speaking on a Sunday evening, but just really there for, you know, for visiting. When in walks this woman with whom I had had that conversation a few years before. And when she walks in, she walks in with a man I've not met before. And he comes to me, and she comes to me, and she says, I want to thank you for being the only one who told me the truth that day. We've made a commitment to belong together, and now look, we're worshiping together. I had no idea. I had no idea that their marriage had been saved. I had no idea uh, that anything that I had to say, all I knew was I had been really nervous when I told her with a little bit of a tear in my eyes, I'm sorry, but I have to tell you this, you should not leave that man. Yeah. You see, they had learned, she had learned how to give up her happiness. That's what she thought she was going to have to give up to stay with a man, right? She thought she was going to give up her happiness. She gave it up in order to stay with a man. And what did she gain? She gained her happiness. She gained it. Yeah. He would seek to save his life, shall lose it. But whoso loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Beautiful story about godly wisdom that turns this world's wisdom upside down. Well, let me just, I just want to take a few minutes in the last 10 minutes that we have together to talk about some practical principles. That What I've tried to do is give you sort of a theoretical background to all this, to letting you see how this works, that these questions of wisdom come up because we have choices to made, be made and not clear guidelines. And these choices, these choices for wisdom remind us that we have to be careful what it is that, what it is that we are truly devoted to. Because our devo- what we are devoted to will make, a, make the scales fall one direction or another. You know, how often have we maybe had people made a hire that they knew was wrong just because they kind of liked the person who was there and they thought they'd be fun to work with and they didn't want to let them down and they made the hire they knew was wrong and then later they're kicking themselves. Why? Because they're more devoted to the opinions of others than the, the health of the company. See, they had poor wisdom. So we need to make sure that our devotion is towards God, and then we need to understand that the paradox of godly wisdom is that it's almost always counterintuitive to you. It's almost always. It's almost always saying, I'm sorry, when you want to say you were wrong, <laughs> right? It's almost always saying, I will serve, when you want to say, please serve me. Yeah, yeah. How many times when I, in our, during our young marriage did my wife and I have a, a bit of a spat and of course I was right. And we were, what do you, what do you mean? And, and we're both laying there on opposite worlds of the bed, great chasm between us. And the Lord has to speak to me like he did to Solomon in the bed that night, except that it wasn't so pleasant. He would have to say to me, Steve, what's wrong? And I would say, well, you know, she was wrong. And he would say, what, is it worth the chasm you feel right now? Was your attitude and response right or not? And we would have fisticuffs on the corner, not between my wife and me, but between the Holy Spirit and me. 
And I would have to then turn around and say, I'm sorry. You know, I used to do that more in our younger days. And the honest truth is, as I've gotten older and we've gotten more settled, I'm probably less sensitive to those issues today than I was. Do you know how that can happen? Those of you who've married 36 years like me, you can fall into routines. But much of what constituted for the health of a growing relationship was the learning of how to give away to our spouses for the sake of our spouse. Yeah. Well, let me give you some practical thoughts uh, on the practice of, of wisdom. The first one is this. Be surrendered to God's wisdom. Be surrendered to God's wisdom. I know this is difficult, but just like that woman across the table from me, she had a choice to be made, to make. Now she knew that it wasn't just a matter of whether or not she was choosing for or against her husband, for or against her happiness. She knew she was choosing for or, or next, for or against surrender to God. She knew that to take, to take the path she was going was to be taking a path away from truth she knew was given to her by God himself. And that was what motivated her to surrender to God. In our case as well, that's where it starts. It starts in learning to be surrendered to God. That's why it says in Proverbs, which, by the way, is written mostly by Solomon himself, chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of his Holy One is insight. Job, 20, Job says in the 28th chapter, where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. From then, where, where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? God understands the way to it, and He knows its place, for He looks to the ends of the earth, and He sees everything under the heavens. And He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. You've got to surrender your heart to God. That's where wisdom begins, and that involves one's conversion, of course, but it also involves many, many, many conversions that you make when you surrender your heart before the Lord. Yeah. There's a beautiful poem by William Cowper from a long time ago when he said, wrote this, the dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. It's one thing to say I want to be surrendered to you, Lord, but it's another thing to go to that throne and to realize something else is there. <laughs> You've got to let that go. Yeah. Be surrendered to God's wisdom. Number two, be saturated in scriptural wisdom. Be saturated in scriptural wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Wisdom comes from exposure to the Scriptures. Expose yourself. This is why something like the Bible Reading Project is so important, to just make it part of the habit of your life that begins to soak the Word of God into your heart and your heart and mind. And then number three, be single-minded in seeking God's wisdom. Be single-minded in seeking God's wisdom. If any of you lack, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that 
person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is a, a promise and a warning. The promise is, is that if you ask for wisdom, God will give it. The warning is that if you ask for God, wisdom, believe God gave it. Yeah, don't be double-minded. Yeah, very often. And I remember as I sat in that fourth year, ending that fourth year as I was beginning to decide, well, am I going to stay in this place or go? It was, I, I won't tell the whole story. It takes too long to tell. But I could see no practical reason why I should go. But in my heart, I knew it was time for me to go. It was just time for me to go. Yeah. And so uh, it was important for me to come home. And I remember writing down in my journal, I probably have it somewhere, that I will go. And there was freedom that came from say, saying to myself, I've asked God for wisdom. I believe God wants me to, have, to, to express it by making this decision to go. And there was freedom that came in the midst of that. Now, I know that wisdom is a very, very difficult topic. And it, that's what makes it so hard because there are no hard and fast rules. And I'm not trying to give you three steps to great wisdom. It's a part of a long, long process of surrendering yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ of soaking yourself in the Word of Jesus Christ, and then submitting yourself to the leadership of Jesus as you ask Him for wisdom. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. The more you build deeper roots in your life, the better the fruit of your life will grow. You focus on the roots, God will take care of the fruits. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we do need wisdom. And it's hard because the wisdom of God is often feels like foolishness to others. I think about those early days when I had to tell people, yeah, I'm going to go start a church up there in Cave Creek. <laughs> it was hard. It felt kind of foolish. And yet there was wisdom in the midst of all of that. And you were opening doors that we never even knew you were opening. You were preparing the way for it. So we say to you, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping. Thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom. Father, let us take everything else off the throne of our lives and put the one of true wisdom there and surrender our hearts to him. And help us to learn that losing leads to finding, that giving leads to receiving. Thank you for the best example of that as we celebrate it today. We remember the time when the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.